Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. We're listening to the closing credit song from the documentary Chasing Ice. Scarlett Johansson's version of Before My Time. An acclaimed photographer, James Aylock, once was a skeptic of climate change and cynic about the nature of academic research. Through his extreme ice survey, he discovers an undeniable evidence of a changing planet. In Chasing Ice, Baylog deploys revolutionary time-lapse cameras to capture multi-year records of the world's changing glaciers. His hauntingly beautiful videos compressed years into seconds and capture ancient mountains of ice in motion as they disappear at a breathtaking rate. We're joined today by the director of Chasing Ice, James Orlowski, joining us today um, to talk about this award-winning documentary, award-winning in the uh, excellence in cinematography at Sundance, Audience Award favorite at uh, South by Southwest, and a number of other film festivals around the world. Jeff Orlowski, welcome to Film School. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. Thank you for being here. Um, tell us a little bit about tell us a little bit about how you met James uh, Bilog, and um, a little bit about, from that point forward, m- the making of the documentary, how that came to happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it, it was very organic, and I would say probably not the typical um, kind of process. Uh, I met James through a mutual friend, and I wanted to work with him as a photographer. That was my background, and he's just a, such a renowned and, and phenomenal photographer. And when when he came up with this idea, he knew he was going to do time lapses of glaciers. We'd have to go to very, very cold places, and uh, it'd be a, lot, a, a very long-term project. And I just kind of volunteered to join and to work with him. I just wanted to be close to the project and to learn from him whatever I could. And um, so I volunteered, and I went with him to Iceland, and we spent a couple weeks in Iceland shooting. Um, and then he just invited me to keep traveling with him, and we went to Greenland, and we went to Alaska. And my role uh, on the team was to shoot video, but not for a film. But the goal was so that he would have you know YouTube videos and mm-hmm. just materials to do uh, promotional videos and things like that. And it was a couple of years. It was about a year and a half into the project when I finally convinced him. You know, James, we've got all this material. We've got these time lapses. Let me make a film. Um, and kind of went. We went into it a little bit backwards. Um, but uh, it, I don't know. I think it's just a testament to the organic nature of the whole project. And you know, we weren't trying to um, prove that climate change was a reality. James's perspective was he wanted to document the glaciers and see what was happening. And, you know, he wasn't even sure that the glaciers would, in fact, disappear, or if they would be retreating or not. In retrospect, it seems, like, somewhat obvious, because there's so much conversation about it in the news. But back then, he, his mindset was, well, let's see what happens. We'll have this uh, historic record, mm-hmm. and we'll be able to see what the glaciers did and hopefully share it with people. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Well, not funny. It's, it's uh, in some ways, remarkable how quickly things have changed. I mean, there were people that were talking about this 20, 25 years ago or more. They were considered yeah. outliers. 
but and for right. for years and years considered to be outliers in fact so i wouldn't say i don't know if kook is too much too strong a word but certainly alarmist maybe chicken little kind of advocates in a way but in the last uh i mean you give me a better time frame on this would you say the last five to eight years we've seen it certainly an acceleration of acceptance of the idea uh, of oh. yeah I, I think for sure and and obviously you know when inconvenient truth came out that, that yeah. made climate change part of the national conversation in a way that you know, people weren't really aware of before. Um, and, you know, so that it, it brought it to the limelight, which was really, really, you know, phenomenal. Um, it did, to some degree, you know, people will say that, that it politicized the issue, too, because now there were, there were skeptics and people who wouldn't go see the film just because it was endorsed by, you know, Vice President Gore, um, which is a, it's a true shame that that's, you know, been somewhat the reality of the issue. What James was really trying to do was, you know, he's coming in as a, as a former skeptic, as somebody who is not in the politics of any of this, and he really just wanted to make imagery and, and see what was happening. And you can't refute the photographs. You know, people argue and debate the charts and the, the numbers, and that's what people are doing on television all the time still. I mean, they're arguing about the realities of some of this stuff, but, um, but James really wanted to separate it from, from the facts and figures and make it an emotional, uh, visual representation of what actually is happening. Would it be fair to call James uh, Belog uh, kind of an agnostic on this prior to go to in your go? Yeah, that's interesting. I think prior to the project, I would say yes. But having seen the images and having learned, you know, in the in the course of making this project a reality, right. our whole team has learned so much about the climate science. Right. And so, you know, I feel like we were, you know, somewhat agnostic or or certainly not activists about the right, issue. Right. We were coming into this as, you know, photographers and storytellers and filmmakers, and over the course of it, we, as a team, feel really, really passionate that this not only is a real issue, but this should be a priority. This is one of the biggest issues that will ever affect humanity. Oh, no question about it. And that's, I just was curious, uh, you know, I, I, I've tried, for people who, uh, I think, um, let's, how can I put this, people who, for years and years, really wanted to be convinced i think that's it's fair to say that they had sort of an agnostics mm-hmm. perspective on this well you know it it's certainly something to keep an eye on but you know let's see what the science says over you know now and i think i really don't think other than a a, a few uh a few commentators not even news people commentators at fox news uh, it's hard to find anybody credible now who who uh who believes that uh, that it is anything but right. a significant and uh, planet-altering change in our climate is occurring right. in front of us. Yeah. So, by the way, what was yeah. what, prior to your involvement with James? Uh, what was your perspective? Were you in that? Were you in that camp, or did you feel more strongly that this um, was something? You know, I, I always, uh, I, I'm 28 years old, and so I feel like my generation has kind of grown up with an awareness of you know climate, climate change being a reality mm-hmm. to a large degree. But I, I wasn't really an activist. I wasn't okay. doing much. I mean, you know, I was doing things in my own daily life to try and minimize my impact, but, um, you know, I wasn't out on the streets protesting right. by any means. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, and so when I met James, it, w- it was just a huge opportunity uh, to work with him, and we, we all knew that it was an important issue. We all knew that it was potentially uh, really, really significant what he was capturing, but we weren't really sure what it would look like. Just to give, it, it's hard to, over the radio, to give people a sense of yeah. what we're seeing, but um, James 
he did, uh, he installed 25 cameras all around the world, and they went to Iceland and Greenland and Alaska and other places, and the goal was um, for them to take a photograph of these glaciers every hour of daylight. They were all mounted to bedrock and had these solid mountings, and they were supposed to be out there for two and a half years, for about three years was the original plan. And really, he just had complications and projects all along the way, and that's what we were filming on every one of these trips. Right. The, the electronics not working, the hardware not working. And ultimately, at the end of it now, we, we now have a five-year record of what these glaciers have done. And you literally see glaciers flowing like rivers, and you see them retreating, and you see them shrinking, and you just see all of this ice deflating. It's, it's hard to really imagine and, and describe if you, if you don't see the images themselves, but it, it surprised all of us on the team. It surprised the scientists on the team how much the glaciers were changing in such a short period of time. And it and you're right, Jeff, to underscore the visuals. I think we're just most human beings are creatures, or we we uh, we only believe things when we see them, uh, you know. And mm-hmm. we can we can read about it. We can be we can hear from all of the experts all day long and uh, and speak in the most convincing sort of arguments. But there's nothing that's really right. going to be more powerful than to see it actually, and through the right. through the. Uh, the time lapse photography that we see in Chasing Ice, uh, y- you just you can't deny it. It's just no you way. Deny it. exactly. You cannot deny. It. By the way, I want to remind our listeners: we're speaking with uh, Jeff Orlowski, the uh, director of Chasing Ice, the award-winning documentary that uh, in theaters um, throughout the country, uh, but here in Southern California, uh, it'll be uh, it opens tonight at the New Art Theater in uh, Santa Monica, L.A. People who know L.A. know it's kind of on the border there, right off the 405 freeway. Um, and I understand that you will be uh, at uh, some screenings coming up at the New Art. Yeah, I'll be at the Q&As, the last three Q&As today on Friday and tomorrow as well. Um, it's, the film's also in Orange County right? Uh, down here at the, the Century Theater down there. But, um, yeah. yeah, I'll be doing Q&As this evening, and um, always just love I'm, I'm amazed by how long the Q&As go. I mean, typically... If we had have the time, they'll go for 45 minutes, and people stay the whole time. They sit through the end credits, and they um, they do the Q and A. Which actually, referencing the end credits, it's just a testament to our composer uh, Jay Ralph, who yeah. uh, did that incredible song. Uh, I'm blown away by how many people, even if we're not there for a Q and A, or if there's no real motivation for them to, to stay to the end, people stay and they watch the end credits all the way through. And we have photographs lining, photographs and time lapses lining the entire end credits, but yeah. I think that song was really effective at, at keeping people engaged. It's a beautiful song, uh, and I, as I pointed out, it, it's uh, sung by Scarlett Johansson, who uh, it's a beautiful voice. She did a great job with the with yeah. the song, and uh, it's, it's quite yeah, she's incredible. Striking. Yeah. Now it, it just not uh, really that, yeah. pardon me. Say she's not really known for that, but she's a phenomenal singer. And I was yeah. talking with our composer, and we were trying to decide, you know, who we wanted to potentially sing the song. Um, and, and he was working on it at the time, and uh, we had this incredible text message conversation listing all these names, and I had known he worked with Scarlett before, and I had heard her sing on a previous track that he did with her, yeah. uh, and, and it was phenomenal. I just thought it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful quality and tone to her voice, and uh, and when we discussed that she would be a possibility, um, I was totally psyched. And it's also Joshua Bell accompanying her on that, the world probably the, the most famous, most talented violinist. Yeah. Um, does the, the company in there too. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. And it, just to reiterate what you just said, it is opening here in Orange County at the uh, Century Twenty Five Stadium Twenty Five in Orange. Huge, 
mega uh, film complex. It's also going to be opening at the uh, Cinemark in Lancaster and uh, and at the New Art, which is kind of cool. Yeah, definitely get up. Uh, yeah. My listeners get up there to uh, to. Well, it's just a, it's a great experience to go to the New Art. It's 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 run by people who love movies, who love uh, the yeah. fact that you're there, treat you well and respect, and it's a, and it's just an opportunity to have a, 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 some give and take with uh, someone who lived through this as well as uh, James Baylock, the photographer, who's really the subject of this documentary, Chasing Ice. Right. Um, now, a little bit about um, the. Uh, the reaction um, now it obviously the film festival circuit I think prepped a lot of the people in the press and and the words gotten out. Uh, what's been the reaction? Right. And, and in the film, I just want to point out in the film a couple of points where people are watching your footage, you're filming them, and the sort of yeah. amazed look on their face I think tells a lot about it. But what right. is what is right. and let, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the audience reaction, and then at some point I would like to go into. Uh, the political class. What what sort of sure, re- sure. reaction are we getting uh, along those lines? Yeah, well, in regards to the audience reaction, um, even you know after the first year of the project, James started doing presentations and lectures where he was showing the time lapses. Yeah, and that's when we started filming all of those things. We started filming the lectures that he was doing, and it was really compelling and, and uh, a clear indication that you know people were were responding so strongly to the images that, you know, it was just further confidence that we had the materials to go ahead and make a film out of it. Right. So we kept filming James doing those lectures and doing those presentations, and that's kind of how we reveal um, the time lapses in the film. Um, the response has been just absolutely incredible and humbling. We weren't ever really anticipating the film to get, you know, to hit this kind of uh, significance that it has. Um, we've had lots of people come up to us afterwards and say, you know, they were skeptics about the issue. They heard that the film was beautiful, and they came to see it just because of the photograph. And in the end, they re- they realize and recognize now that this is a real issue. So we've been shifting skeptic opinion. We've had people who used to lay oil and gas pipelines and work at uh, for exploration, the exploration departments of different oil companies, telling us that they thought it was a hoax, and now they finally understand it. So we- we've had some amazing response uh, to the film. And like I said before, that wasn't really the intention. The intention was not for this to be, you know, a political or activist piece. We were really just trying to tell James's story and make it as emotional as possible and as real as possible um, so people understand why it mattered to James. Um, And so because of the response to the film, we've been starting to wonder what other impact can we have with it? How can we get it out there? Uh, We did do a screening before Congress. Um, which is kind of a, an official and technical thing that doesn't mean that all the Congress, uh, Congress members came and saw the film. Um, but we did distribute DVDs of the film to every uh, member of the Senate and the House, um, which we're very proud that we, we did and were able to get um, the film out there to everybody. Well, important. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was just going well, say... to say... You know... <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, what is a... I just want to make the point, which is while... It, maybe not all of the congressmen, maybe not all the senators. Likely they won't. It's in, it's at least as important as that the staff members get it because who really runs Congress right. are the staff, and they will watch it. Yeah. So right, that's right. Sort of my point. Yeah. So that's yeah, and we distributed this film out there, and um, we'll we'll see what kind of impact it has. We're going to be doing a screening at the UN pretty soon as well, um, where they're they're hosting a screening for us there by the the Secretary General's office. Oh. Um, and there's some key influencers all around the world that will come and see the film. Um, yeah. 
Well, fantastic. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit. We've sort of avoided talking about James Baylog, Baylog who uh, who's just kind of the uh, um, uh, catalyst for all of this and is amazing photographer prior, certainly renowned photographer prior to the uh, to this film coming mm-hmm. out. Uh, beautiful, beautiful photo- uh, photos of, uh, of natural landscapes and such. And he fell in love, as he says in the film, fell in love with ice. And the mm-hmm. idea of it, of uh, and and obviously the, these amazing, and we see James putting himself through uh, a lot of physical uh, kind of uh, situations here. How is he doing physically uh, after surgically repaired knees and all the rest of it? How's he doing lately? Yeah, he's still out there. I, I mean, James is such a dedicated photographer, and one of the things that we were really trying to convey in the film is how far he's willing to push himself. Yeah. Uh, to make a photograph. And he gets an idea for a picture in his head, and he will do whatever it takes to make that a reality. And he'll, you know, as long as it's physically possible, he'll do it. So, as you were mentioning, Mike, he, he, James has had a couple of knee surgeries. There's one that was briefly documented in the film. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the film, his knees he busted. I mean, he, he pushed it too hard on one day of ice climbing and rappelling, and uh, it was really, really in bad shape. But Still, even with that condition, the next day he went out to go photograph, and he's out there hobbling on the ice with crutches. And it's one of the most painful, for me, it's one of the painful things in the film when you see him, you know, completely pushing and doing everything he possibly can. And the most amazing thing is that that night, when he was on crutches, he took a photograph in this landscape where, you know, our whole team was there, we were all shooting, and, you know, we were trying to find an interesting photograph, and... James saw this one piece of ice that looks very, very, you know, generic, very typical, nothing special about it. Uh, and he saw a, a photograph in his head, and he pursued it. And he made what is, I think personally, in, in his seven years of photographing ice, this is my favorite photograph of the entire collection. And it, it came just because of his per- persistence and dedication and his willingness to work that hard, um, even when his body was not cooperating. Um and it's a it's a shot I call it Spaceberg. It's a, it's a nighttime <laughs> shot, um, and it looks like you're on another planet, and it, it is just so remarkable. I, I think I know which one you're talking about. It's in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm film, almost yeah. certain. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is, yeah. There's so many beautiful photographs. It may not be. I'm. I. I yeah. think it's the same one you're talking about. Let me yeah, real, mm-hmm. really quickly. We just have a couple more minutes before we got to get out of here. Yeah. Um, I, this is a. We call this show film school. I have to know what mm-hmm. kind of equipment. What were you using primarily sure. in your shooting? Yeah. What were you, so we started off originally with the Panasonic HVX 200. Um, and uh, interestingly, that first year, I, we couldn't afford buying a whole bunch of P2 cards for that camera, so I had a Firestore hard drive um, mm-hmm. uh, that was hooked up with a, a cable, with a firewire cable, um, and I kept it inside my inner jacket pocket mm-hmm. to keep the battery warm and to keep it, hope that it would function longer. Um, and it was the most difficult thing to try and shoot in snowstorms when you have a hard drive inside your coat that you need to check and confirm and make sure it's running while you, you know, you've got this wimpy little cable connecting the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the second year, we switched to the Sony EX-1 and uh, pretty much used that for the rest of all the shooting. So it held, um, held up pretty well. At the very end. It so helped, that, yeah. Oh, that's, okay, so, it, so, it, so it was, Sony yeah, EX... The, the EX-1 was a brilliant camera. Yeah, it yeah. worked very, very well. It held up very well in the cold conditions okay. and, and the harsh conditions. Well, fantastic. Well, um, I am so I'm honored that you were able to find some time in your schedule to be here. 
It's just oh, a terrific film. And by the way, I don't. I haven't said this enough. It, it, th- this is a beautiful looking film under the most extreme conditions imaginable. Uh, it's it really is a beautiful film to look at. In addition to obviously all of the uh, the the value, the social value that it comes with this uh, with seeing this film. Um, it's a beautiful looking film. Editing everything about it. It's this is a top notch documentary and. Is your, oh, thank you very much. Oh, it is, and, and congratulations on that. Uh, you'll be at the mm-hmm. New Art tonight. Last three screenings tonight, tomorrow night. New Art, yep. November twenty third. For people who might be listening on our podcast, uh, at the New Art. Um, I'd love to come up there and, and shake your hand on this. I don't know if I'll have some. I, oh, we'll see. We'll see. I'd like to come up uh, and see this with an audience. I think that would be a very very rewarding experience yeah. to see it with an audience. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah, seeing it on the big screen is really how we designed it. We wanted people to have that experience because these landscapes are so huge. You know, seeing it on a on a laptop or on a TV, it doesn't do justice to how big these landscapes are. Yeah. Um, we we did a screening on a screen that was fifty feet tall, and it was the closest that it felt to the uh, to the real experience. Um, Amazing, yeah. fo- amazing footage, terrific documentary, and all the best to, to you and to James. Uh, continue the good work, and uh, we'll look forward to your next project as well. Thank you. Thanks so much, Mike. Take, yeah. take care bye of yourself, bye. and we'll see you soon. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.